This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think you can't put a brand to the market today without having a mission and a purpose. You know, the consumer is going to see through you because it's like, of course, everybody's out there. You know, you want to make some money. You want to be profitable, but you still want to contribute to something good. This was Michael Söderlind. And I want to borrow a line of the great Dave Letterman and say, my next guest needs no introduction. He, of course, is the co-founder of Happy Socks and has just launched a new brand. Michael talked to me from Sweden about all things branding. But before we jump in, I want to thank my new Patreon Mentorship Circle member, Lina, who joined the Creative Circle. I will talk to her as well as all other members on a monthly group call, which is my way to support you while you are helping sustain the podcast and keeping it advertising free. You can learn more and join us by hitting up patreon.com slash hitting the mark. And now over to my conversation with Michael. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for welcoming me to the show. Absolutely. So I thought you would be in Los Angeles because that's where you started your new brand, but you are currently back in Sweden. Yeah, I got I got a little bit panicked when somebody tried to lock me up and hold me confined in a small space. So I actually jumped on a plane back to Sweden that is open. Everything is as normal, but we practice social distancing here. So uh, in the way in the weight of the US opening going back to somewhat normality, I'm staying over here. Perfect. And we'll we'll um we'll be able to to welcome you back soon, I have a feeling. Yes. So, um, you know, let's not beat around the bush. You are the co-founder of Happy Socks, um, the immensely iconic and much-loved brand that has reached 90 countries and every single <laughs> continent. Uh, you've got concept stores all over the world, LA to Tokyo. Um, Happy Socks can be found in over 10,000 fashion apparel boutiques. But we won't talk about Happy Socks today, at least not a whole lot. Instead... We will talk about Life Aid, uh, Knife Aid, <laughs> Knife Aid, <laughs> your new, <Life> Aid. <laughs> <laughs> your, your new one-year-old startup that is, drum rolls please, in the business of shipping back super sharp knives to people with not so sharp knives. Correct, Mikael is now sharpening your knives. I guess it's happy knives for you after happy socks. How did this all come about? This is, this is such a huge shift. Um, tell us a little bit about that story of this new brand. Um, no, but, you know, having the track record and what we did with Happy Socks, where we really turned everyday commodity into something fantastic, a piece of fashion that everybody could wear that you know shows an emotion and expression of a person and it really was something super super boring that we made into a happy item and you know being in that area i personally felt that you know i don't want to put another product to the market i don't want to take another thing to the market that doesn't have any purpose really and i was i super enjoy cooking i love Nice sharp knives when I cook. I enjoy that. I I'm always out in nature, and I you know when you're in nature, you're fishing or you're camping. You always have a knife with you, and you need a sharp knife. And 
in Sweden where I'm from, there was a, I was inspired by a business to business setup where restaurants could subscribe to sharp knives, somebody sharpening their knives and they sent them back and they circulated the knives and they just started doing this to the regular consumers. And I found them and I was like, you know what, this is, this is a business to business idea, but what if you would you know, tweak it and do it to a consumer, business to consumer. Because we know that there's a lot of home chefs, the trends are going that people want to start cooking at home. You know, you cook you cook exclusive ingredients and everything. And it's like home cooking is just exploding in the organics and everything. And, you know, we know that people enjoy their knife, a sharp knife. So I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. And said, starting to looking on this, I was like, what is a market you want to do it on? You don't want to do it in Sweden where you got 10 million people. You want to do it on the world's biggest market that loves service and consumption. <laughs> and said and did, said and did, I partnered with a, you know, a neighbor in Sweden. And we said, let's move to Malibu and start this like knife sharpening business. And when the waves are right, we surf. And when the waves aren't <laughs> right, let's sharpen knives, you know? <laughs> just just that simple, huh? And, um, you know, you had to twist his arm when you said, hey, let's move to Malibu and start this little company, right? Um, uh, yeah, and he, he, luckily he was an entrepreneur as well. And, you know, two crazy entrepreneurs moving over to Malibu is relatively easy. But then you have the, you know, the thing that you have wives, family, kids, <laughs> right. commitments, <laughs> but no, but all in all, um, we moved over to the US and, you know, my task was basically to put this business up, get it into branding, fix the branding and market it. And, you know, he was going to run it as a CEO. And that's how it still works currently. Yes, that's how it works. So how how has COVID-19 affected the brand? I mean, was it positive or negative for the brand? Because it seems like we are all turning into master chefs these days, right? We're confined, at least here in the US, you escaped on time, but we are confined. Uh, and, and we don't want to buy new stuff either. So it sure sounds like a pretty good opportunity for, pe for people to use your service. So what I noticed was, you know, when once this hit us, we had to make sure that we were an essential business. Of course, we're an essential business because people not need sharp knives, kitchens, restaurants and such businesses needs to prepare food. So luckily, we were in the essential businesses and could maintain our operations. Um, after that, we once it hit, we saw that traffic sales dropped tremendously, mm. tremendously. Like it was like our ads on Facebook, you advertise a lot on Facebook and Instagrams, nobody was clicking on it going further. But then after two, three weeks, once the news people had read up and you know, you're tired of pressing on another link on COVID-19, you start to interest with what you're interested about. And everybody is stuck in their home, ordering their food, cooking their food, realizing that their knives are dull. So our traffic and return on ad spend blew out of the roof. Interesting. That's awesome. And we have been so busy <laughs> the last three, four weeks with orders, um, which is an amazing accomplishment. So it really shows that people are home ordering food, cooking and enjoying the, the spirit of it. I had a feeling, and and when you when you, when you talked about um, you know how you're an essential business um, and how you know restaurants still need sharp knife, are you also going into the B two B component of this, or is it still completely just directly to the consumer? No, absolutely. So I would say we are completely branded towards a consumer, the the consumer that has 
super expensive knives to a regular set of, you know, Amazon 50 set, $50 set of knives. You know, we go across the span. So that's how we set up super simple to order one pricing easy. But we have noticed that a lot of businesses, they don't have any options to sharpen their knives. And it's very easy to order our service. So they have jumped on our service as well. So I would say 30% of our businesses, business to business currently. That's really cool because for them, it's most probably a cost saver because they didn't have to subscribe to any B2B service that is most probably more cumbersome with contracts and whatnot. And, and I would say also, you know, there is still a lot of people that comes with their truck to the restaurant and then you go out, leave your knives in the same day and they sharpen them, then drop it in the restaurant like a, you know, ice cream truck or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. a milk truck yeah. going to. So that is very you know, it exists still, but in this way, they can get their knives sharpened anytime they want. How crazy was that R&D component, which is really the mailing component of the brand launch? I, I had the fabulous Chenny of Chenny's Splendid Ice Creams, uh, who, who you might or might not know. I had her uh -huh. on, and she talked about how shipping ice cream was such a major breakthrough for her brand to actually do it the right way. How difficult was it to create the mailer concepts for, for Knife Egg? It, it, it was that's why we started in january 2019 we started our business and i would say the first three four months we were experiment like really trying on how to ship their knives so that they would be safe you know not go through the envelope we had a really really nice envelope and mailer to put the knives in but it was the protective sleeves to keep the knives safe inside the envelope uh that was the you know, the thing that we needed to tackle and get a good way of doing it. Right. Um, so, so without the knives, you know, somebody sending us their sharp knives, they can't go through the mailer because then we would possibly hurt somebody in the post office. True. <laughs> or the consumer. Yeah. Anyone along, along <laughs> or the, the consumer, chain. you yeah. know, and you know, how do you find a solution so that the consumer can, you know, pop up their knife without themselves getting cut? Totally, totally. And, and then you and then you and then you know that a consumer when they get something, they do not read. They do not follow instructions. <laughs> so you can basically write and say whatever you want, but they're not gonna do it. <laughs> they're gonna do as they find appropriate themselves themselves. So in the end, we came up with a really, really super simple idea and it's been working without any problems. We had one problem along the way was that our envelope wasn't um when some when it got wet you know like a cardboard box paper it can get a little bit soggy and yeah. you know it can erode so we had to come up with like weatherproof mailers to surround the envelope so that we have like three protection layers now around the uh the knives which is like now we're completely safe and good Right, right. No, I had a feeling this would be difficult. And there, you, you, you hinted at this a little bit in, in, in the beginning. There is actually a deeper layer that can be peeled away behind your knife sharpening business. Um, here, here's the abbreviated mission statement that I took from your, from your website. Here it goes. Our mission was to develop a sustainable business that does not contribute to more consumption, but instead maintains and restores the value of what we already own, while at the same time bringing joy to the preparation of what we like the most. So here's my question. Do you see yourself as, as, as a mission-driven brand? Absolutely. I think, you know, I think you can't put a brand to the market today without having a mission and a purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, the consumer is going to see through you because it's like, of course, everybody's out there. You know, you want to make some money. You want to be profitable, but you still want to contribute to something good. 
And, you know, I need to have a purpose when I do something. I can't just like, oh, I want to do some knife sharpening. And why would I want to do that if it's not something in it that I like? And I like the fact that why would you throw away a knife and get a new sharp knife when you can recycle it? Re you know, it's sustainable. Absolutely. It's an amazing, amazing idea. And I think that's really how knives and swords, if you look back in, you know, centuries, you know, you got your dad's sword. You know, it was a nice word and then you just maintained it. And that's how we should see a knife today is like rather buy a nice knife and maintain your knife. And it's a lifetime product that you can pass on for generations. Totally. Totally. So sword, sword aid is next. <laughs> um, but, but it's look, you're not selling sexy socks anymore, right? With this brand. So knife sharpening does not fall into that aspirational line of business, even though I myself am quite keen on sharpening my knives just about every month, which is worse. Than wow. My, yeah. Yeah. It's much worse than my dad, though, who sharpened them literally before every single meal preparation. <laughs> so it runs in the family. But, 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 no, but that's honing. That's honing. Oh, tell me more about that. What's the difference? No, so basic. what I would say this is, so you go to the dentist one time per year and then you brush your teeth every day, hopefully twice a day. Yeah. So what I would say is with your knives, you send them off to professional sharpening one time per year and then every day you maintain it with a honing steel or leather or whatever you have at home. I see. But every year... Every year you need to straight the sharp, the sharp, the cutting angle and, you know, the blade. It needs to be straightened and done professionally. So I it see. can be, I compare it to going to the dentist and brushing your teeth. It's exactly so you, the same thing. So you just busted my, my, my myth of me sharpening my knives every day. I'm actually not sharpening my knives every day or once a month. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just maintaining them. That's all I do. You're ho yeah, exactly. You're okay. honing it. And, so, <laughs> and, and some people, you know, they have a honing steel. They have a honing leather. They might have a stone at home they can do it on. But most knives need professional sharpening. Cool. Very good. How do you go getting back to 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 my question about, you know, it not being being, you know, like sexy stocks, right? Like how do consumers learn about your brand? Is it mainly social ads and retargeting or how, how do you advertise knife sharpening without falling into that infomercial cliche? So, so, so I'm sorry. I, I, I don't. I, my job is to make something boring, sexy, <laughs> make it aspirational. That is what I do. That's what I live on. That's what I make my money from. You know, that's and I think the one person that wouldn't say if you go into knifea.com, it's not an unsexy page. You know, it's a really cool dude with tattoos sharpening a knife it's a craft it's a craft doing somebody's knife it's not something anybody can do you know it's a it's it's a trade it's you know it's something you learn how to do and so and a knife is a very sexy item as well so i think it's how you compone it how you put it together that makes it interesting and so no, I'm not agreeing that it's like very boring. And it's like, you know, it's when somebody comes into our workshop, they're like, wow, this is, you know, it's a moment of, it's a little bit dangerous when you sharpen a knife. So it's a machine and oh, it totally. moves and yeah. it's sharp. So, so it has this like little, I don't know, spice of, you know, curiosity, danger, you know, craft men, women doing it. We have like super talented women that have been uh, jewelry uh, designers before doing it. They need to have something in it. So um, I'm, 
I see it as a very sexy industry. <laughs> I, I see it. I see it as such too. I am just wondering for the consumer. You know, how do you how do you change that perception? You know, because in, because it, it. I mean, it's it, it's one of those um, skills that has been seen for for for. Yeah, but years, you know, you, you know. know. Every, all, all of us, all of us get stuck on Facebook and Instagram and we see these like crazy, you know, videos with people doing things, you know, how can they do that? How can they do this craft or how they can do this? And, you know, how can they build a tree house? You know, we just get stuck on this when we follow social media. Totally. And that's a little bit how we have created our social media advertising is that, you know, you see somebody holding a knife and how, how it actually works when you sharpen it. And people get a little bit stuck in that and then they're like, and then we just add in there, okay, order your envelope, put your knife inside, get them sharp back, get them back within three to six days sharp. You know, it's like get them stuck into the trade and then we show them how we can help them. Cool. Very cool. And and do you, do you do any like celebrity campaigns as well or anything like that? Do you go into the food network and into that kind of um, arena? Because I mean, obviously that was a huge part with, uh, with happy socks doing brand collaborations. <laughs> yeah. We were just about to launch that before COVID-19. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so I would say we put it on hold until after this pa pandemic. Okay, that was it, it. Was a logical next uh, thing. And and talking about this, and we we have to talk about uh, about Happy Socks for one quick second. You have to amuse me with this. What was your strangest brand collaboration with Happy Socks? I mean, you did everything from the dead like Keith Haring and Andy Warhol to the very much alive like Steve Aoki and and Snoop Dogg. But was was there any was there any campaign that was just like super strange and like you know a complete riot? Yeah, my my favorite one was probably when we. You know, we started really the big breakthrough globally and we got a little bit of, you know, profitability and could spend it on advertising when we worked with the world famous photographer, David LaChapelle. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he, we were like, okay, we want a couple of pictures, you know, so we could do some, we never did any advertising that we could do PR with these pictures. And then we want you to do a crazy movie. And he came up with the most awkward, crazy movie. And he was like, when he presented this, he was like, guys, you know, if I'm going to do it, it has to be like, I want to do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. And we're like, but this is not very commercial. He's like, I'm going <laughs> to do it. And we're like, okay, let's do it. And it's the absolute weirdest movie <laughs> you could ever imagine. Is it available online? Like, can people YouTube it and find it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it is. Okay. David LaChapelle, Happy Socks movie. And it's it's an eight-minute long movie about a girl going crazy. Uh, it's And she dances her socks off. And it's like ends with blood, death, and everything. And it's... Uh, <laughs> and she's a prostitute. And it's like... It's so awkward. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And that was like... And, and, you know, and it was... And sometimes when, you know... You, you know, he's so well known and was the first time we really got to work with a big name. And we heard all these stories about, you know, how crazy he was and how, you know, sometimes he didn't show up for work. And, you know, everybody has these myths yeah. around them that are famous. And we're like, oh, we're going to work with him. And when we, we came to the site where we're going to do the recording and everything, he was first there. He was the most engaged person I've ever seen and so committed, so inspirational and everything. And he got everything done on time. Just a perfectionist. He was such wow. a great person to work with. So that was probably my best and most awkward <laughs> moment. 
That's hilarious. I, I mean, look, I think if you let an artist do what an artist wants to do, then, um, you know, they're very professional about it. <laughs> you know, I think you did the right thing. Um, Follow-up question relating to Happy Socks, and it comes with my accent. How is the David Hasloff swimwear line going? <laughs> I was I was <laughs> laughing out loud when I first heard about it. Uh, I'm Austrian, right? Even though I live in LA for over 20 years. And somehow in Austria and Germany, he can, he can fill stadiums singing, something the rest of the world does not even know could be possible, both the stadiums and the Hoff singing. So I went to I went on happysocks.com to look for your Hoff-inspired swimwear line and all I found was a Happy Hoff t-shirt in your store. Was it solely a campaign or did the Hoff actually design some sexy tight European swimwear for you? No, 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 no. He was another <laughs> amazingly inspirational guy and I think you're under-exaggerating when you say he can fill a stadium. He can fill a country in Europe. He's <laughs> He's so Amazing. big, this person in Germany and Austria. I don't think that you know anybody understands how big his name is and his legacy in these countries. It's amazing. No, um, no, he actually was very involved in the development of the campaign, and you know it was an amazing moment to work with him, where he takes off his red trunks and puts on these colorful, you know, happy socks, <laughs> swimwear, and yeah, no, it's been a, the swimwear line has been really interesting for us. That's that's very good. Um, yeah, no, in in the U.S., it, it's it's funny. I mean, you know, he lives in the U.S. I assume, and you know, that's where everything started. And here, people kind of forgotten about him. And 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 once you once you fly for nine hours, suddenly life is totally different. I, it's so strange. I, I I wouldn't I I wouldn't say forgotten about him. The campaign campaign that we did has a tremendous success even in the U.S. Oh, that's cool. That's great. The press and everything loved it. It was so, uh, yeah, it was another of our most, you know, our crazy campaigns. We've had so many crazy, so <laughs> many fun campaigns. And, you know, I'm I'm dying to do the same. You know, that is really what my role is going to be in, in Nifate as well. Now, when once I set it up and I got the marketing and everything working with Nifate is like, okay, how can we tweak it and get a bigger audience? And the next step is, you know, collaborations and, you know, who what crazy chefs, things, people with knife, can we, you know, associate ourselves with and get a bigger reach? Totally. I mean, this, and this is why this is so exciting to me to have you on, um, because it's so early on in your new brand. I mean, I would love to have you on in four years from now or three years from now again, because I have a feeling that 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 knife aid is just it's 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 really it's just being born right now. Even though it's existing and it's yes. and it's and it's, and it's running, the, the opportunity with the brand is just skyrocketing. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> It really is. It really is. And it's like, you know, uh, yeah, of course, you need to meet venture capitalists and get some fina finances into a business. And when you just put it in a, one of these keynotes and you're like, OK, the market is 128 million households in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> it's like literally you have 128 million households who has dull knives because I don't know a single family out there who tells me when I tell them I sharpen knives, they're like, oh, I need to get my knife sharpened because everybody has dull knives. Yeah. No, totally. It just takes a little bit of convincing. So talking about VC money, um, like a handful of my guests, you were also on Shark Tank. Um, and that ended up being <laughs> quite the riot. I watched it last night. It was insane. What did it do for, for, for your new brand? We did the recording, I think, six, five, six months after launch. And it was aired nine or ten months after launch. So three, four months after. Um, it tripled our business it gave a recognition a brand impact it gave a, the trust it i really think it changed the perception of what we were doing 
and I, I can't, you know, coming from a non-U.S. background to America and like, you know, my, my mission was how can I get something that is well recognized, has a broad reach throughout the U.S. population with, I think, you know, they reach six or eight million people in the U.S. with this show. Yeah. And I was like, the only thing I want to do is be on Shark Tank. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not the natural entrepreneur that really need to go on the show. But I was like, this is my favorite show. I want to do Shark Tank. I need to be on the Shark Tank show. <laughs> and I did everything to get on the show. I got on the show. And, you know, we did a, we recorded it. And then, you know, five minutes before I was on the show, I was like, Oh, why am I doing this? I can be, they will make a fool out of me, you know, right, and I really right, don't need course. to be yeah, on yeah, the yeah. show. And I have no way to, you know, to afterwards say, please don't show this or anything. I'm stuck if they do a fool out of me. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And we did this show and it turned out tremendously good for us. And, you know, it's the best thing I've, I've done and the most exciting thing I've done uh, in my career. Well, and just and just for the listeners, so, so they know, um, when when you guys, the two of you, you and your co-founder, stepped outside for a couple of minutes to to make up your mind if you're going to take the offer or not take the offer, which offer to take, um, like you took a little longer than expected. So everyone started to one after another come out of the stage to that hallway where you guys were standing, and they started to like make you better offers, which I have never seen on Shark Tank. I think that was pretty new. No, and I can even say that this was a cut version of what happened because they went pretty. <laughs> there was actually some knives involved behind behind there, <laughs> where it's like you know what I want to invest in. You can actually see it on the TV show if you slow if you run it by uh, slow motion. You can see that some people are holding knives in their hands to make the investment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good. Uh, uh, so so no no no. It was it was spectacular and it was. You know, they, they are so charismatic, these sharks, and it's a reason they're sitting on the show, and this show is so big, and I, you really got the power of it. And, and I think a lot of people, and I'm not sure how much you can talk about this, uh, but but a lot of people wonder afterwards, like, how, how important, not only the effect of being on TV and being in Shark Tank, and, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know sales go through the roof for the, for the couple of weeks afterwards, and suddenly you have brand recognition, but how important is the mentorship and the leadership from the shark that actually is part of your team at that point? Um, do you feel like that is, that is extremely valuable as well at this point? The sharks are, you know, they wouldn't be sitting there without their background and their success. Obviously. So it's like yeah. it, 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 they have a, they have an echo system of how to handle uh, their investments. Yeah. Yeah. And an amazing Rolodex. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I don't even know if people still know what a Rolodex is, but hey, you know. Um, so after... <laughs> they, have, they, have, they, have, they have an amazing iPhone. <laughs> Thank you. That was a little bit embarrassing for me, but you know, I can always cut it out. Um, got it, got it. After, got it. No, I wouldn't. But after going through everything with, with Happy Socks, I mean, Happy Socks is such a brand. I mean, it's all about branding with Happy Socks. And you guys did such an insane, um, insanely good... Um, good, good thing with with how you branded it over the years and how you kept expanding it. Um, now that now that you have you know knife aid, a, a totally different kind of business that you really like bootstrap and and you know like like a true startup. What what does branding mean to you overall? Now that you experienced it, kind of like from both sides. I, I don't know. Branding is for me. You know, I fall in love with something and then I dress it up. Um, 
I get very passionate about it and then I see it in a different way and it's like, you know, I, I put these, I put pants on it, I put shoes on it, I put a sweater on it and then I'm, ah, uh, that didn't really work out and then I put some makeup on it and I cut the hair and, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's like, I just repackage things and I, I, branding is, you know, trying to see how you can package something so that it aspires for others and may it, you know, it's, mm, it's a philosophical question. It is, it is. I'm putting you in the spot. I know it's, a, but, but it's an interesting thing to talk about, right? Because for a lot of people, brand just means logo and it means superficial and, and it's really so much more. I mean, it's so much more intrinsic. It's so much more emotional. It's so much more purpose-driven. Um, that's why I think it's such an interesting question. Yeah, and what is it? What is it? People, you know, they they need to, you know, why you why do you self self like something, and what is it you like with a brand, and where does it come from? Is it the colors? Is it the background? Is it the mission or the people behind? It has so many as aspects today, and I think the the modern consumer today is, you know, more enlightened than ever and needs to know the full story. Totally, transparency is 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 key. Absolutely. Um, When you look at happy socks, uh, the, the brand DNA, I'm sure, can best be described as happiness. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like around the entire the entire brand. What is one word that could encapsulate the Knife Eight brand? If you would have to distill it all down to one word, what would Knife Eight uh, stand for? Quality. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so no, absolutely. So it's like service and quality. So it's like, if you have really nice knives, you're not going to send away your like nice knives if you don't feel that I'm going to get them back better than ever. And it's like an easy, simple way. So, you know, easy, quality, simple. Quality <laughs> no, no, and convenience. Really, yeah, yeah. Yeah, quality yeah. and convenience. That's what what it's all about. And it's... And then that it's then I think that's the main top of it. It's like quality and convenience. And then underlying that is that it's like something that is sustainable. It's like, it has a purpose. I recycle something. I resharpen my, I renew my things instead of buying new. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense for people. It makes sense. If you have a knife to resharpen it, it doesn't make sense to throw a knife out that you can resharpen, but you you buy a new one. It doesn't make sense. Totally. So then you have the like what you call brand uh, brand uh, ladders and stuff like that. But you know what? I'm not I'm not so into all the, <laughs> the terms of how to do a brand. Anyway, yeah. I, I I love that you're saying this because um, even though that's what I do um, for a living, I'm not into the terms either <laughs> because I think in the end it's, no. a, a lot of it a lot of it is just you know it's just it's just marketing talk. But in the end, what really what really convinces people, what sells, what what uh, what what checks people's emotional marks are are none of that, right? In the end, that is just something that is uh, very often very very intrinsic, um, and you know, and all. But, but with with Nifer, we never had the ambition to do this huge, you know big company you know we'd rather focus on having happy consumers do good quality and grow slowly you know that has really been the purpose with us um and not like you know bang it out and do it big and you know we need to do it it's like grow slowly be good and you know have happy customers and in that way make sense of it 
Well, and I'm sure you're in no rush either, right? I mean, you know, you have you have a successful company running, so you can do it right. You can do it. You can do it the the, the slow way. And I mean, the most important thing, and you know that better than anyone else, is having early brand advocates and having people who actually experience the service and love the service so much that they talk about it. And and you can absolutely do it that way. Um, what is what is a piece of brand advice for 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 young founders, for young entrepreneurs, um, where you feel like you know they look up to Happy Socks, they look up to your new brand and what you're doing with it um what is what is what is some advice that you would give them as it relates to to building their own brand that you feel emotionally connected with what you do that you understand it yourself that is something that you know i connect to that's something that i like you know with if you say with happy socks from the beginning when we started it you know i'm not involved anymore but when more than on the board but you know, when we started, it was like, okay, what makes sense for us is like, we want the factories when we go down to the factory and visit the factory floor, we want the workers to look happy, we want them to wave to us and, you know, say, ah, oh, there's the owners of happy socks and smile and not, you know, feel that they feel, you know, we see that they're sad feeling depressed when they're working with our socks, we have to have a natural feeling that they are happy with us, you know, so that mm. the origin of the product is happy and if it starts happiness in the, you know, in the production department, you know, in the production, then it goes happy to the office, happy to the resellers, happy to the consumers. And the same with, you know, with knife aid, you know, if we're going to sharpen people's high quality knives, we need to deliver high quality. Yeah, and we need to have high quality people working with us. We need to have the best technology, the best machines to sharpen all types of knives. So it's really what you stand for, what the brand stand for needs to go through every, you know, department section of what you do. I absolutely love that. I think that is so extremely important for everyone to hear. Absolutely. So you can't just say, you know, oh, we're a happy brand. We are, you know, or we're, we're high quality. We say we're ha high quality. And then we have low quality machines in our workshop with knife shop and with knife aid. That's not going to work out. Totally. And if and if they don't, you know, if the branding doesn't look high quality, then it's not going to work. The web page doesn't look high quality. It's not going to work. It's like it's it's all of that. Everything needs to be what we're trying to communicate. And I can't wait to start seeing this more and more um, with the Knife Aid brand. That's going to be a really, really exciting time. I'm going to make sure to, to, to follow you guys. And, and for listeners out there who feel the immediate urge to get their knives out and sharpened, which they should <laughs> by now, um, where do they begin to use your service? I assume at uh, knifeaid.com. Yes. Perfect. And from then on, it's as simple as, uh, as a couple of steps and, 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 off, and off they go. Three clicks and you're ready to go. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Well, uh, Michael, I, I, I told you this is not going to be too long. I know you're super busy. Um, you know, thank you so much for having been on the show. We really appreciate your time. We appreciate your insights. Um, stay safe in Sweden. I know things are running differently over there, but also very successfully. Um, and we're looking forward to having you back in L.A. And, uh, and hopefully we, we get to see each other in person at one point. Thank you very much for welcoming to the show and the amazing questions. Thank you so much. Getting brand advice from Michael of Happy Socks and now Knife Aid. How about that? If you value Hitting the Mark, make sure to subscribe and rate the show. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be Hitting the Mark.